Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening. This week on Southcrest Live with Dr. David Wilson, we start a new section of our Sermon on the Mount study series called Tough Truths. In verses 21 through 22 of Matthew 5, does Jesus really equate the person who harbors hate for another with being guilty of murder? And how does such animosity affect a person's ability to live in community with others? How does it damage one's relationship with God? For the answers, turn to Matthew 5, 21 through 26, as we hear Homicide and the Heart from Pastor David Wilson. No other name like Jesus. What a blessing we have every Sunday in our music. If you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins this sermon by indicating how you come to the kingdom of God. You come by spiritual bankruptcy and, and, and so forth. And then he shared the function of believers, salt and light. And now he begins to combat the righteousness, the self-righteousness that people have. A lot of people think they're okay. They're good people. They've never murdered anybody, never killed anybody. But Jesus is going to show that it's not the outward acts that matter the most. They do matter. But a lot of people can outwardly look okay, but inwardly they need to be forgiven. They need holiness. They need righteousness. Verse 21, in fact, he's going to use six different illustrations here. And I'm not going to cover all six today. The first one is, is found here, but you're, I, I've entitled this Tough Truth because you're going to see what I'm talking about. In fact, if you want to skip the next five weeks, if you don't want to hear any hard sermons, you just need to skip the next five weeks because Jesus does not pull any punches. Listen to verse 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder or thou shalt not kill, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a difficult, difficult truth to apply today, we ask that you help each of us who have the potential, we all have the potential to be murderers. Would you help us to see 
that righteousness only comes through Jesus Christ. And that's through faith in you. And we pray that you would help people to see that their anger can only end in tragedy. So speak to our hearts now, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Many years ago, a member of the Missouri State Legislature accepted a $25,000 bribe for his vote in regard to a certain bill. Well, sometime later, he received a $50,000 bribe from the opposing side, so he returned the original $25,000 bribe. Well, eventually, they caught him. And the corruption was discovered, and the legislature who had turned state's evidence related this story on the stand. The examining attorney asked him, why is it that you returned the $25,000? And the legislator drew himself up into his full height and stood in, in a voice that showed his scorn for the lawyer for such a question, and he answered, I'd have you know that I'm too conscientious to take money from both sides. <laughs> Human nature is such that even when caught in a sinful practice, people quickly try to justify themselves. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were meticulous in trying to keep every little detail of the law externally. But Jesus was trying to show them, you need to be cleansed internally. They had all of these rules, all these regulations they added to the law that God had given them. And Jesus was saying that the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees may look good on the outside, but it is not good enough to get people to heaven. It's not good enough to solve the sin problem that all of us have. Nothing's changed today. A lot of people do religious activities to try to gain the acceptance by God. A lot of us try to do good things. You ask your person, how do you go into heaven? They'll say, well, you need to live a good life. Well, let me read you something. I didn't write this, but let me read you something about living a good life. If you can start the day without caffeine, if you can get going without pet pills, if you can always be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, if you can eat the same food every day and be grateful for it, if you can understand when your loved ones are too busy to give you any time, if you can overlook it when those who love you take it out on you, even though no fault of yours, something goes wrong. If you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can ignore a friend's limited education and never correct him, if you can resist treating a rich friend better than a poor friend, if you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can relax without liquor, if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, if you can say honestly that deep in your heart you have no prejudice against creed, color, religion, or politics, then, my friend, you are almost as good as your dog. <laughs> now, beginning in verse 21, the end of chapter 5, Jesus elaborates on the righteousness that he's talking about. Without a proper heart condition, you cannot be acceptable before God regardless of your external conduct. 
You may look good to everyone else, but God sees the inside. Now, Jesus uses six illustrations. The first one today is about thou shalt not kill. You have heard it said, you shall not kill. The word kill, obviously he's quoting Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. There is a time you can kill. Accidental, obviously, happens. Sometimes there's a just war. If a person murders somebody, the scripture talks about capital punishment, a life for a life. If you kill someone, your life will be given. That's what the scripture, the Old Testament teaches. This means to not murder somebody. Thou shalt not murder someone. You will not take a life in a criminal act. You will not premeditated kill someone. That's what he meant in Exodus. They took it and added to it. They said, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not commit murder. And he goes on to explain, and I'll talk in just a second about it. But you and I need to understand that he's talking about a criminal act. Murder. I, I read a funny story about actress Jane Wyman, who's no longer alive. Many of you may have remembered her. She was actually the first wife of Ronald Reagan. But she uh, was going to entertain special guests. And, and ladies, sometimes you get a little overzealous when you've got company coming. You're going to clean everything and all the bathrooms and everything. She had the house clean. She put a note on the guest towels the hand towels, if you use these, I'll murder you. <laughs> now, she was talking to her husband and her kids, but she forgot to take them off for the party. <laughs> so, as you can imagine, at the end of the party, the towels had not been touched. <laughs> the people hearing Jesus on this mount were aware of the seriousness of the sin. But now he attacks their self-confidence and their self-righteousness by charging that though they may be innocent of actual physical murder, the anger that lies behind murder is one of the worst sins that people can commit. To one degree or another, it makes all men would-be murderers. You are sitting by murderers in this room today in the eyes of God. Now, we can relate to being angry. A few years ago, a, a lady in Arkansas called the police department and asked if there was a penalty for fighting. And if so, what was it? The sergeant told her that she could be charged with assault and battery. The fine would probably be upwards of $1,000. And she said, oh, well, I wanted to beat up my sister, but I wanted to see if I could afford it. <laughs> All of us have had those kind of feelings. The only thing that keeps us from doing that is the law or getting in trouble. Well, Jesus spoke about this, and the first thing he mentions is what I've named an inward effect. You see, this anger that he's talking about is very serious. The scribes and the Pharisees would have said, well, you know, I might be of sin, and I may have missed a few of the laws, but at least I've never killed anybody. But Jesus said, you know what? Yes, you have. You see, they added to it, instead of a life for a life, the Old Testament speaks of capital punishment, it, they added to, you shall not commit murder, whoever commits murder shall be in danger of the judgment. That means liable in the court. You're going to go to court, stand before a human judge and a human um, um, 
jury, and they're going to decide your fate. They added to it. And Jesus said, but that falls short of the biblical truth. They had confined murder to merely a civil issue. But Jesus said, but I say, now he's not going against God's word. He's going against the rabbinical tradition. He said, I say that if you're angry with your brother, now, King James Version and the New King James Version, which I'm reading from, the New King James, says without a cause. But that was added a little bit later because the earliest manuscripts don't have that. It's such a, a stout statement that, that they, the scribe surely, met, surely said, surely it doesn't mean you should be angry. But the attitude is prevalent today. We kind of get this attitude like the Pharisee in the temple who prayed, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this man, a swindler and a thief or whatever he said. What Jesus says here is that we are like other people. You have it within you to do that. You do. You may be a church person. You may be here today, and I'm glad you are, and you may be a believer, but did you know that within, your, within you, you have the capacity to be like anyone else? Sometimes we get the attitude, God, you're so fortunate I'm on your side. You know, you're so lucky to have me on your team. 1 John 3.15 says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. How's that for stout? It makes us all guilty. Because who's never hated somebody? All of us. A couple celebrated 50 years of marriage, and after all the festivities were over, the wife looked at her husband, and she said, we have been miserable for 50 years. <laughs> we fought every day. We've disagreed on nearly everything, and I am convinced that we cannot keep going like this. I've made a commitment to pray that God will help us solve this problem. I'm praying that he will take one of us home. And then she said, and when he answers my prayer, I'm going to live with my sister in Grand Rapids. <laughs> you see, it's possible to be a law-abiding citizen, but to be as guilty of murder as anyone on death row. Because many people in the deepest feelings of their hearts have anger and hatred to such a degree that their true desire for that person is for them to be dead. Fear or cowardice or lack of opportunity does not permit them to take that person's life, but that does not diminish their guilt before God. And Jesus states basically three levels of this anger. I want you to see how it works. First of all is simmering anger. Now, there are two words in the New Testament for anger. Thumos, which means to explode, to just blow up. And then there is orgizo which means to be anger, angry with simmering anger that is nurtured and not allowed to die. It's seen in holding a grudge, in the smoldering bitterness that refuses to forgive. It's the anger that cherishes resentment. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 15 calls it the root of bitterness. Now, we all have our thumos moments. We... We get angry and then we get over it. But this is, this is the kind that, that festers and simmers 
and last. And it's a present passive participle, which, which basically translates this way. Whoever is being provoked to anger in an ongoing habitual way toward his brother is liable to judgment. In other words, Jesus was speaking of an ongoing habit. He didn't say whoever has been angry, whoever is angry with his brother. It's gone on for a long time. Clarence Darrow was a famous criminal lawyer. He once said, everyone is a potential murderer. He said, I've not killed anyone, but I frequently get satisfaction out of obituary notices. Now, we may not come out and clock one, but we would like to. Now, I hate to tell you this, but I can relate to the lady who had spent three and a half hours in one of the government offices with a bunch of rude clerks, and I'm not saying it was in Lubbock because I don't know where it was, but she'd been at the Department of Motor Vehicles for three and a half hours. No, I can see some of you have been there. But on her way home, she stopped at the toy store to buy her boy, her son, a birthday present. And she went back and picked out a baseball bat that he wanted for her birth, his birthday. And she walked up to the clerk, up to the counter, and the clerk said, well, will this be cash or will you be using a credit card? She said, cash. Snapped at her. And then she realized what she'd done and said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I've spent the entire afternoon that I didn't have in the motor, motor vehicle bureau, and, and I'm sorry I snapped at you. And the, and the clerk said, well, would you like for me to gift wrap this bat, or are you going back over there? <laughs> now, now, I'd like to be one of those who went back over there. Or maybe you're like the woman that was bitten by a rabid dog and it looked like she was going to die from it. And the doctor said, you better make a will. So she made this long list and the doctor came back in and said, is that a will? All of those people? She said, no, I'm not making a will. I'm making a list of all those people I'm going to bite. (laughs) That is simmering anger. I've met a lot of people who have anger simmering in their life. A lot of them go to church. Have you ever met anybody and you think, you know, there's something wrong. They must have an anger issue. They're angry at someone. And a lot of times we take it out on everybody else when in the reality is we've got this simmering anger toward someone who did something to us that we won't let go. And so it festers itself and it shows itself in other ways. Well, it goes deeper. He goes on to say, if you call them in verse 22, whoever says to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the Supreme Court. Now, the first one, danger of the court, the the Supreme Court, the, the Sanhedrin. They were the ones that ruled on all of the serious matters. But what does the word Raka means? Well, we don't have an English equivalent of it. That's why they just transliterated the, the word into English, raka. Now, the closest we can come to defining it or translating it would be that when you call somebody a brainless idiot or a worthless fellow or a silly fool or an empty head or a blockhead, it's a term of malicious abuse, derision. It's a term of slander. Psalm 140, verse 3 says, those who sharpen their tongues as a serpent 
poison of a viper is under their lips. It's the same words that the soldiers would have used when they mocked Jesus. And they put the crown of thorns on his head and they mocked him as they marched him down the street to be crucified. To slander a a creature of God's image is to slander God himself and is the equivalent of murdering that person. Contempt is murder of the heart. The third level is scornful animosity. Whoever shall call, whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. The word fool is the word moros. We get our word moron from that. Now, to call somebody a fool was actually accusing them of being stupid worthless and godless now we use that word crazily today i mean we we tease each other about being stupid and morons and all kinds of stuff like that but but here in this in this context it's very serious because the psalmist spoke of the fool has said in his heart there is no god and to call somebody a fool was to brand that person as worthless and immoral it was, a, it was more than just an attack of the head. It was an attack of their spirit. And if it's said from a heart of anger and contempt, you're basically saying this person is absolutely worthless. I can't stand them. You know any people like that in your life? We carelessly and thoughtlessly call people dummies and thing, but, but in this particular case, in the worst sense, Jesus said, for all of you self-righteous people who think you're so good, he's talking, you know, about salvation here. He said, for all of you are self-righteous, he said, you, you can stand up and say, well, you know, I've done this and I've done that, but I've never murdered anybody. He said, I'm here to tell you, you've already done that in your heart. You're as guilty as they are in the eyes of God. You're separated from God because of your sin. Boy, that that knocks a hole in all of our self-righteousness, doesn't it? Because see, on the outside we may look all right, but it's the inside where God sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And did you see the degrees of it? To be angry in the basic evil behind to be angry is the basic evil behind murder. To slander a person with a term such as raka is even more serious because it gives expression to that anger. And to condemn a person's character by calling him a fool is still more slanderous. And such an expression of malicious animosity is tantamount to murder. And that's why he says, You're guilty enough to go to hell. The word Gehenna is the word used. It's the word comes from Hinnom, which was the southwest corner of Jerusalem outside the wall, which was really the city dump. There had been kings in years past who had done horrendous acts. They had sacrificed children. They'd killed people there. It, it, 
It later became synonymous with the fiery hell that Jesus talked about. In fact, he used that term 11 11 times when he talked about Gehenna. To call a person a fool is the same as cursing him and murdering him, and to be guilty of that sin is worthy of eternal punishment. Now, folks, listen. I want to remind you, those of you who've placed your faith in Jesus, you've been forgiven of your sin. Okay. So if I've been mad enough as a Christian, I've called somebody a fool. That does not mean I'm going to hell and don't let anybody tell you that. I mean, after all, sin is still a reality in our life, even though we've been forgiven by Jesus, hadn't it? So what I'm, well, I want you to stay in the context of these people who think they're good enough to go to God, but, and, they, and because they're religious and they do all kinds of outward things. But Jesus is saying, you got to look on the inside. Heinrich Hein once wrote, my nature is the most peaceful in the world. All I ask is a simple cottage, a decent bed, good food, some flowers in front of my window, and a few trees beside my door. Then if God wanted to make me wholly happy, he would let me enjoy the spectacle of six or seven of my enemies dangling from those trees. I would forgive them all their wrongs they have done, forgive them from the bottom of my heart, for we must forgive our enemies, but not until they are hanged. Do you see the inward effect it has on people? Anger. Anger is something that will shorten your life. Not only does it have an inward effect, it has an upward effect. Did you notice he said in verse 23, therefore bring your gift to the altar. If therefore you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. If there was anything that the Pharisees were concerned about, either directly or indirectly, it was their worship. Listen, they were sold out. They were going to be, they were going to follow God if it made everybody else miserable, and most of the time it did. But Jesus said, you can't even worship if you've got this kind of attitude. In those days, they brought animals to the priest, lamb, uh, dove, whatever. They brought the animal to the priest, an innocent animal, They would lay their hands on that animal. That animal would be killed, and it would show the seriousness of sin because only blood could atone for the sins. And they would and they would put on their they would put their sins on that animal symbolically. But Jesus said, "Listen, if you're going to worship, and you you're bringing your gift to the altar, and you remember that you've got animosity." or they've got animosity against you, if you're not right with somebody, then don't you dare come asking God for forgiveness when you're not willing to forgive over here. You can't worship that way. Jesus is speaking of our sensitivity to the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will speak to us as we seek to worship, and He will guide and convict us in our everyday lives. And we're, we're um, dependent on the leadership of the Holy Spirit as we worship. But some people come in, and the reason they can't worship is because they're just mad and bitter and unhappy on the inside. And folks, I know that some days you come in here, and you're, that's not the problem. You just don't feel good. I mean, I understand that. 
But some people, here's how you know. Here's how you know. Everything's always wrong. Too loud, too long, too soft, too this, too that, too this, and wah, wah, wah. It's always wrong. Okay, I got news for you. Everyone else isn't the problem all the time. Because down deep, you got a heart problem. And you can blame everyone else you want, but it comes down to you. The psalmist, a thousand years before Jesus preached this, said, if I regard sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And Samuel, even before that, said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed better than the fat of rams. Anger affects you inwardly. It affects you upwardly. Even if you're a child of God, you've been forgiven, you know you're a Christian, it still will affect you. So let's look at the third effect. I call it the outward effect. And Jesus speaks of making things right. Oh, you're not going to like this. He uses an illustration. In the next couple of verses, he goes, back into, he goes down into the law realm, the realm of law. And he uses an illustration. And he says that, and, and I, think of, I think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18. Later, he said that, you know, there was a man that owed the king millions, $53 million and couldn't pay. And he was brought into court to pay it. And the king said, pay me the $53 million. And the guy said, I don't have it. And, and, and the king said, let's throw him into prison. And he began to plead for more time. And the scripture says that the king had compassion on him and forgave him the debt. Of course, that's symbolic of God and us as sinners. We're the, we've got the debt we can't pay. But that same man went out and found a buddy who owed him $18. And said, uh, hey, buddy, where's my money? And the guy said, I can't pay you. And then he could take him to court. That's what he's saying. If somebody, your adversary, your adversary is on the other side of the law issue here. He said, your adversary, you could take you to court. And if you can't pay the debt, you can be put into prison. And Jesus basically says a couple of things here. First of all, he says, resolve to go. There needs to be some resolve in your own life to do that. Don't wait until it's too late. Look at verse 24. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Get off your duff and go do it. How's that for being blunt? Quit thinking about it. Do it. It's not, an, it's not a suggestion. God says, look, you be reconciled to them, so you take the initiative. You get up and go do it. Some of you know right now there are people in your life that you need to go make it right with them. Whether they're mad at you or you're mad at them, it does not matter. It's the same either way. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what you've done to God. Because I want to tell you, what you've done to God doesn't even compare to what they've done to you. 
to resolve. Folks, I want to know, I know it's hard. I know it's hard to be humble. It's hard to extend a, a hand of reconciliation to a brother that has offended us. But that's what the Lord commands because bitterness always ends in tragedy. Always. I can't tell you how many times I've done funerals and people who've been angry with the person that died wish they could have had a few more minutes to make it right. Now, I'm going to confess to you, I know this room's full of murderers. I'm one of them. One of the people in our life, my life, part of the, my anger was righteous because he shouldn't have acted the way he did, but part of it was just flat out carnal on my part because I could not stand him because he offended my wife on more than one occasion. So part of it, I, I hadn't figured it all out, but I do know this. I was happy the day he died. Now, now you know your preacher's a murderer. But I also know that I'm not the only one that's ever felt that way. Now, <laughs> what does he want us to do after we resolve to do it? He wants us to rectify and reconcile. Verse 25 and 26, he said, if you're on the way and you see your adversary, agree with him. In other words, try to figure out a way to reconcile before you get to court. Because if you go to court, it's always going to be worse than it would have been if you had reconciled at the beginning. Now, I want you to remember that as a child of God, you are forgiven of your sins through Jesus Christ. So you and I are not going to stand in God's judgment the great white throne judgment where those without Jesus Christ are going to be, they're going to realize that they've never been saved. Their name's not in the book of life. They'll be cast into eternal darkness and hell. They'll be separated from God. As a child of God, you're not going to go to that one. Aren't you glad? That'd been a safe place to say amen in this sermon. Now, but we are going to go to the Bema seat where we're going to be held accountable for the life that we've lived. Not in a sense of being saved or not, but in being rewarded or not. And those things that we've done in the name of the Lord that were not worth the purest of motives, but were done selfishly, 1 Corinthians says will be burned up. So you're all invited to my bonfire to roast weenies when my time comes because I know some of my stuff's going to be burned up. But I can already imagine, I don't know if this will happen or not. I've already been convicted about it. But I can imagine the Lord saying, David, let's talk about so-and-so. Well, I'm not going to have anything to say. I can't say, well, he's sorry as they come because I'm as sorry as they come. Do any of you ever have any siblings? Brothers and sisters, did you ever fight with them? I fought with mine, fought with my brother. My sister was too little. I fought with my brother. That's how I learned to deal with difficult church people. <laughs> really? I learned a lot of social skills. 
My parents are in this room. And, and, and as I think about this, I should turn them over to CPS. <laughs> because you know what? The worst thing they do, would do when my brother and I would fight, they would say, you guys are going to kiss. <laughs> I'd have rather been shot. Can you imagine? I'm just imagining. Can you imagine when you get to heaven and whoever it is that you can't stand, I don't know that God's going to make you kiss them. But he may say, you go right over here in this room for a couple of thousand years and y'all need to get this right. In other words, wouldn't it be better to deal with it now than to have to answer for it later? That's what he's saying. He said, folks, life is too short. It's too short for you to be that angry with people the rest of your life. Jesus, man, he, he pulls no punches. You got a problem with this. Don't come whining to me. Jesus is the one who said this. There was a famous snake charmer. He had a huge, giant boa constrictor. He trained the snake to wrap around him. He would say, coil. It would wrap around him. He'd say, retreat. And the snake would leave, crawl off. And this became such a great trick that he went on tour. One night, he and the snake went on stage in front of the biggest crowd forever, a crowd ever, not forever. And like always, he said, coil, and the snake coiled around him. Everyone gasped. Then he said, retreat, and nothing happened. Again, he said, retreat, still nothing happened. He kept calling out, retreat, retreat. And there in front of the crowd, that snake began to squeeze that snake charmer tighter and tighter until the man suffocated and died. After the show, the backstage, a man told a newspaper reporter, I remember when he got that snake. It was just a baby. It was so small, he could have crushed it with his hand. But he played with it and let it grow and let it grow until it finally crushed him. Anger will do that to you. If you've never received Jesus, you cannot live this kind of life without Jesus because the Holy Spirit will begin to control your anger and help you have the power to do that. And so if you've never met Jesus, you have no hope of living a righteous enough life to get to God. If you do know Jesus and you have anger in your heart, did you know God will still forgive it? But he expects you to go make it right. Life's too short to hold an anger and grudge for the rest of your life. It's too short. Let's pray. Thank you, Pastor David. In Matthew 5, we discovered the uncomfortable truth that murder is a matter of the heart. We explored the facets of anger and murderous intent.
We unpacked the inward effect of it, which is a need for forgiveness. We saw the upward effect, which is a disruption of fellowship with God and an inability to worship while conflict with others still exists. And finally, we discovered the damaging outward effect of such animosity. In light of these, the Christian should be highly motivated to resolve differences and reconcile, remembering to forgive others as God has forgiven us. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.